Howdy, folks. This is good old J.R. Jim Ross. I want to thank you for downloading the Ross Report. And I certainly want to thank all the sponsors. We've got some great sponsors who make this possible every single week. He's considered the greatest broadcaster in wrestling history. Yes, sir! And now, WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross, the legendary voice you heard calling every major wrestling match in human history, brings his famous friends to the podcast world. Nice. Welcome to the Ross Report. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you very much for downloading the Ross Report. Very simple, right? Just go to Apple Podcast. Subscribe for free. Leave us a five-star rating and a comment or two, and you're done. And that means every week you will get the newest episode of the Ross Report, which drops on Tuesday nights at 9 Eastern, 6 uh, Pacific time, and it will automatically download it into the device of your choosing. we got a, a hell of a show this week. I would say that my guests could whip your, your guests' ass. That's what I'm thinking. Because i got Josh Barnett and Kevin Nash here, two pretty damn tough guys, quite frankly. My Access TV partner, former USC heavyweight champion, Josh Barnett. Matter of fact, he was the youngest USC heavyweight champion of all time. All time. We'll talk a little New Japan, Russell Kingdom with Josh here in a few moments. And we also have, as I mentioned, WWE Hall of Famer, Big Sexy, Kevin Nash, joining us as well. His 40 time has been altered by his, like, his 88th knee surgery. We'll talk to Kevin about that and much more. But first, ladies and gents, here's what's on my mind. What's on JR's mind? Well, the first thing on my mind is to say thanks to everybody for supporting our new venture, the Slobber Knocker Sessions, the exclusive and intimate VIP experience that we're going to launch on Sunday, January 28th in Philadelphia at the Diamond Club of Citizens Bank Ballpark. Of course, that's right across the parking lot from the football stadium and the arena where the Royal Rumble will be held later that day. So mark it down. Sunday, January 28th, high noon, you'll get a free book, free hard copy of Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling. I will personalize it to you and be happy to do so. You'll also get the uh, free selfie on your camera. That'll be fun. Always enjoy that. And then we're going to have an unbridled, uncensored, no host bar Q&A. We're just a lot of fun. And you can ask any question you want. You're in a safe house at my shows if you're a wrestling fan. Simple as that. So tickets are on sale now. Only 100 of them. Only 100 tickets on sale at TicketFly.com. TicketFly.com. And I'd love to see you there. Sunday, January 28th, noon Eastern in Philadelphia, the first ever Slobber Knocker Sessions. I really want to uh, tip my hat to WWE for their Women's Royal Rumble. The women's match, the Royal Rumble. It's a great thing. And I don't be one of those guys who say, well, it's about time. Well, it's about time. Every glass is not half empty. It can damn sure easily be half full. And I'm very happy that WWE is providing this opportunity for these women to perform in a very unique match that they've never been in before on the WWE level. They're breaking more ground. They're, they're breaking through more. So I'm very happy uh, of that uh, development. I would love to see a strong representation of some of the alums. Why not Trish Stratus? Why not Lita or Jackie Moore or Jazz or Lisa Verone? You know, Molly Holly, tons of ladies. I'm leaving out some, sure, and I apologize for that because it's off the top of my head, but what a neat, feel-good moment. And look, those alums 
were the women that laid the foundation for the mansion that the current women's town are building. We shouldn't forget that. So that, it's going to be fun. I'm excited for these ladies. I'm really proud of what they're doing and how they're representing the product of wrestling. They're not just sex objects at all. They're sexy, and they're strong, and they're powerful. They're women athletes, and I love it. I'm very grateful for all of you for your support of Slobber Knocker, my life in wrestling. The book's doing great, really great. And uh, my neighbor next door, Guido, who's a big Cleveland Browns fan, so he hasn't got a lot to cheer for this time of the year, he tells me that I have an angel looking over me in heaven, and her name's Jan, and she's making sure this book sells. Now, I don't know how I want to go that far. I, knew, I do know she's an angel. I know that I know where she's in heaven, and hopefully she's paying attention to how the book's doing. She'd be very happy. You know, the book is available now, I'm told. They're, they're stocked at Amazon UK. Amazon Australia has books, I am told. If I have uh, listeners in either of those domains, let me know. Let me know on Twitter, at JRSBBQ, and I appreciate that. Also, remember, all the Barnes & Noble stores that we promoted here that I did book signings for, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Chicago, Suburbs, golly, where else did I go? New Orleans, New York City, Tribeca. All those stores have signed copies of JR's book, Knocker. Why am I talking to third person? I think I'm telling the rock here or something. But anyway, also remember Bookends. Bookends is in New Jersey and Ridgewood, New Jersey, by the way. They have signed books, and they encourage you to Log on at book-ends.com, book-ends.com, or just follow them on Twitter, at bookendsnj, at bookendsnj, trying to tell you that they have plenty of signed copies of, of Slobberknocker, and they are willing to ship that book signed anywhere in the world. So no matter where you live, if you have access to a computer, you can order the book from bookends.com in uh, Ridgewood, New Jersey, and they will ship it right to your Nice, chubby little hands. Sovereign Rocker doing well. Fourth printing about to be announced officially. It's going to happen. Uh, we have some major meetings uh, coming up in, in the next uh, week, 10 days, in the, on the West Coast about uh, Sovereign Rocker being more than just a biography of a overachieving fat kid from Oklahoma. You know, I think one of the great values of digital television right now, and that's, that's the world. That's where you're headed. You're going to program your own networks. You're going to watch TV when you want to watch TV. And I'm happy that the WWE Network is just getting ready, is launching Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. That was some great stuff, folks. That's good old NWA stuff. You know, my buddy Bob Cottle was there, David Crockett as well, Tony Schiavone. Uh, just a, those are the broadcasters that I can recall off the top of my head. But the bottom line of it is, is that the, they produce a really strong product, certainly strong style. No doubt, long before Strong Style was topical. Mid-Atlantic Wrestling on the WWE Network. I think it's the best nine ninety nine dollars uh, that you can spend if you're a wrestling fan because you can see so much content from so many different promotions. And there are things on there that I was a part of that I have not seen ever until it went on the WWE Network. And I can't tell you exactly why other than I don't like the sound of my own voice. I don't, I don't like the way I look. I think I can always do a better job. So I'm, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. No, no kidding. But that sounds that way, right? So I'm happy now I can go on the WWE Network and I can watch some of the classic matches. Uh, you know, I love that stuff. I'd love to see a Jeff Hardy Undertaker match or a Rock and Hogan or Rock and Austin. Austin and Triple H, two out of three falls. Shawn Michaels' return. Because those matches I broadcast, I rarely went back and watched again because I simply didn't have the damn time. Crazy as it sounds. So uh, WWE Network's a good spot for you to, to light. It's going to be a lot of fun there. I am excited to go uh, 
in a few days to Los Angeles for a couple of reasons. One, I'm taking a, a trip, have a little get-together on New Year's Eve I'm looking forward to that has book connotations tied to it. Then the Rose Bowl game is on January 1st, uh, 2 o'clock California time, and I am excited about going to that game to see my Sooners play Tony Schiavone's Georgia Bulldogs. So you bring Ugga, we'll bring our horses, and we'll be all right. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is the granddaddy of them all. So the ticket says, my ticket's the granddaddy of them all. I love that. So I'll be doing that. And then, of course, uh, then Josh Barnett and I will, as you know, uh, will be joining up to talk more about it. We'll do that in a few moments. But Josh and I will be voicing over Wrestle Kingdom. We're pumped about that event. And uh, we'll talk about how we prepare. Some of you might be mildly surprised. Shouldn't be by now if you listen to this show very much. So uh, a busy week. A lot of great things coming up. I hope that everybody has a very, very happy holiday season, what's left of it, and a wonderful Merry Christmas. No doubt about that. Finally, I hope that you will understand what's on my mind. It's a challenging time for me here at the holiday time. I, I've tried to record this about three times now, and I get sidetracked because I'm celebrating Christmas without my buddy, my, my wife. It's not easy. But I got wrestling fans. I got friends. Things like that to keep me posted up, propped up. So it's tough. It's tough this time of the year, so it's, it's hard to talk about her and not get emotional. So I'll stop talking about her so I can finish the show. And uh, But I can tell you this, I mean it now. That's what's on my mind. This is Susie Schuster, and I'm with Rich Eisen, my husband. We do not just sports on Podcast One Sportsnet. We've had incredible guests. I mean, if I have to say so myself. Say it. Shaquille O'Neal. Zaria. Yes. Paul Rudd. Bob Saget. Jim Harbaugh. Do you know who he is? Oh, my God. He's my coach. You can find us exclusively at PodcastOne.com or on the new Podcast One app. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Please don't forget. Well, folks, I certainly hope you had a great Christmas. I did and enjoyed every moment of it. A little challenging sometimes being there uh, without my wife. But nonetheless, she was there, I think, in spirit. No doubt about that. I don't get too gushy with this deal, but I, I am going to tell you that we've sold a lot of products on www.shop.com in the last month, six weeks. I really appreciate your, your loyalty and your business. Uh, I know that my mom would be proud that her original barbecue sauce is the, the motivation for our original barbecue sauce. I like a little hot sauce, so I added some hot to that, and we have a hot barbecue sauce that's very good. JR's Chipotle ketchup, smooth and smoky and sweet. It's wonderful ketchup. Try it in a meatloaf. Try it as a steak sauce. And now somebody's going, what? Ketchup as a steak sauce? you damn right. I'm kidding you. And our main event mustard is uh, jalapeno honey mustard. And damn, it's good. It's got one gram of sugar. For us guys that are diabetic, diabetes two for me. That's my go-to condiment, one gram of sugar. JR's main event mustard is good. And the seasoning, I private label the seasoning that won national awards for my smoked meat. Hall of Fame friend, Stan Brooks. He's in Yukon, Oklahoma at Stan Smoke Shop. So it's good stuff. I keep it out. I use our seasoning like I would anything I would salt and pepper on my stovetop or my oven. It's great. And, of course, you take going outside and putting something on the uh, grill, it's money. Big time. And if you're smart enough to plan enough, far enough ahead to season it with all-purpose seasoning and then wrap your product back, put it in the fridge, and let it sit overnight, you'll be very happy you did because any meat that can be marinated or loved overnight before they become consumed is good for the meat. So good for the taste buds. So check it out, www.shop.com, fully stocked, great customer service, and uh, we appreciate you doing business with them because it helps my family that I'm very appreciative of. 
And also, uh, you know, we're doing okay on our T-shirt business. Uh, I think Kevin Ash is also a uh, member of the ProWrestlingTees.com club. You know, Jericho's got shirts there, Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, and me, good old JR. So it's ProWrestlingTees.com slash Jim Ross, a cool store. Ryan Barkin and his team are wonderful fans turned entrepreneurs, but they're still fans. You'll enjoy doing business with them, and I encourage you to support your favorites at ProWrestlingTees.com. And for me, it's ProWrestlingTees.com slash Jim Ross. The Ross Report. Always good to talk to my partner anytime, anywhere, and here on The Ross Report. I welcome Josh Barnett to our show. Josh, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season but by God, you got to tell me about going to East Russia or wherever the hell you were. It was thirty below zero. You're a tough man. Yeah, uh, I, well, uh, they're they're men tougher than me, and they live in uh, Yakutsk, where it's negative fifty eight at night. But uh, um, I headed over to Eastern Russia, or they call it Far East Russia, and uh, to Vladivostok and Khabarov for uh, Modern Fighting Pancration (MFP). They have uh, it's a promotion that's been running over there for. Quite some about mid two thousands, I think it is, and they've done two hundred and seventeen shows. Wow! And so I went over there as a special guest and did a bunch of press in Russia, and uh, I even did a stop at an orphanage and, and got to talk to some kids, and it was really just an enlightening trip because I'd never been able to go to Russia and Eastern Russia. While you know it's not just a, a bunch of taiga with like a yak and a few stray horses roaming around. I mean, Vladivostok's a fairly metropolitan city, um, and Khabarovsk is the capital of the Far East. Uh, the people over there were fantastic. Uh, food was great, and uh, I had a, a really warm, hospitable time, and I'm excited to go back again. Did you meet a chick? Uh, well, I met several chicks. There's, it turns out they got those there, too. Wow. So, there. you know, you can hang out and meet people that are, Male and female, yeah. but, uh, you know, fur coats, they're not just a fashion accessory. That's a, that's a way of life. That's a uh, real yeah. thing. And, uh, you walk outside and you feel your breath start to, uh, freeze to your beard. Uh, I'm not talking about the chicks now, but, uh, uh, it, it's a real eye opening experience. I would say so. I would say so. Well, you didn't do any run ins or anything drastic, did you, while you're there? You just made a nice baby face appearance. Extremely baby-faced appearance. I, I had on a suit and everything, and uh, I went in, I waved, and did the whole deal. <laughs> Great, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're back because we got some work to do coming up here pretty soon. Yes, jo- we do. Josh and I are going to have another year together at uh, Access TV, and uh, I'm excited about that. I told people this before because everywhere I go to do media for my book, Slobberknocker, and I'm going to bring you a book, by the way, and you're going to have to read it. Thank you. You're going to have to read it. I'm going to sign it. I'm going to say all the words right. But I'm not going to write any Eastern, <laughs> no, no Eastern Russian. But I, I've said this. You're the perfect partner for me. Of all the partners I've had over the years, and I've been really blessed with some damn good sidekick-type partner deal. But I couldn't ask for a better partner for this product than you. And you know so much more about it than I do. And it's an ever-changing world. And, and their company is really evolving, New Japan is speaking up. But... I'm glad we get another year together, and and it looks like we're going to start off as big a way as we could. This is true, man. Uh, we're going to try and, and get the turnaround on uh, Wrestle Kingdom over as fast as possible to those uh, those New Japan fans over here in the U.S. for Access TV. And uh, there's going to be a lot of great matches for us to call. But and and while yeah, it's true, there are 
uh, there are cultural and and subtle and greater uh, differences yes. from uh, you know this Japanese product as to what maybe your standard American wrestling fan is used to. However, the main thing is good wrestling is good wrestling. You get a couple guys out there beating the hell out of each other, um, and it's it's not hard to 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 talk about that and and to understand what the appeal is going to be. And and uh, you know you're one of the guys that I I model and have tried to emulate in some ways and learn from when it comes to commentary. So to get the chance to sit in the seat next to you and, uh, and, uh, to learn just by, by being a part of it is, uh, been, been an incredible experience for me. Oh, I appreciate that. We have fun and, you know, it's getting very seamless. We rarely stop tape unless I, me butchering a name, which happens, but, uh, you know, this way it is. Oklahomans are just not accustomed to speaking and using Japanese surnames. You know, it's tough. It's tougher. It's tougher. <laughs> not, a di- not a daily occurrence. No, it isn't. I'm told, Josh, that Wrestle Kingdom is on January the 4th and that uh-huh. the morning of January 4th here, for us, we're voicing the, mm-hmm. the three main events over. So that's the Okada and Naito, Kenny and uh, Jericho, and then Tanahashi and Jay White. It's what I understand we're going to bring to the fans on Saturday night in prime time, a three-hour special. So the ink will be dry, but not really totally dry uh, from the original event. And I'm glad that we're that close, quite frankly. Would you plan on looking at any tape before that we voice it over? You know, I was just I was going through my mind, and uh, I'm not going to look at tape. I'm going to try and avoid even spoilers or anything like that. And uh, I, don't, I don't watch tape before I record as it is. Want to just let these wrestlers yep. tell me their story without too much bias running into it? I mean, my job, our job, is to just let these guys make us react to it in, in as much of a natural way as possible. And so, while you know that does create some difficulty, I would I would agree, but it also is it, it frees us up too from trying to come in there and sort of already predetermined. Uh, you know, call on this match, some predetermined uh, narrative. Instead, we just go out there and we just let, we just try to highlight, you know, what they're doing and how, how tough and how, how incredible these, these athletes are. And, um, I'm excited to see it, what there's a, a bunch of interesting elements to these, those three main events. So, you know, we have watched and called some of Jay White stuff, but yep. this is his biggest moment to date. This mm-hmm. is his chance to shine. Sometimes guys try to, try to do too much. Other times, they just they freeze up, and then there's that third where the all of a sudden this is the the moment that that person really blossoms. So I'm really curious to see how that works. Yeah, boys, uh, you're right. Tanahashi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Jay White Intercontinental Title Match, and you think about Jay White's positioning as you pointed out. Man, that kid, he's going to be tight. He's got to have to be tight because why wouldn't he be? He's in the ring with a legend at the biggest show of the year. In the legends, basically the legends' home field, because Tanahashi has been very successful on that turf. I'd say Jay White's got a big challenge ahead of him, and but I like his upside. You know, I've both talked about very positively about what it looks like he's evolving to be. And that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he comes from that New Japan Dojo training, so you know he's foundationally sound. He's if anything, he's prepared for this. No, you you're familiar with that process, the Do- New Japan Dojo training. You're, you're very familiar with it. Tell the folks that are listening what makes that dojo special, what makes it unique. What do they do differently that other quote unquote wrestling schools don't do? 
Well, for one, you've got the element of the immersion type training where you're, you, you eat, live, and breathe in that dojo. So the dojo has a house attached to it. All the wrestlers live there, stay there. Uh, they eat there. Um, you know, they're living the experience of becoming a professional wrestler. And when you can cut down on all the external noise and everything like that and any of the distractions and really immerse yourself in, in the, the task at hand, it has a, 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 a really different effect than just being able to uh, um, pull yourself in and out of whatever it is that you're doing. I mean, that's why they say that the best way to learn language is to go and do immersion. You know, go, you want to learn French, go, go live in France. Go do an exchange deal in France and, and do nothing but speak French. And that has a longer, deeping, deeper lasting effect than just casually trying to take some French courses. Because as soon as you leave that French classroom, all you're doing is speaking English, thinking English, mm-hmm. thinking American. Everything is, is going to be different. It's taking you out of what it is that you're trying to retrain into your mind. Same with, with this New Japan um in wrestling dojo situation and hell i send my fighters off sometimes on sabbaticals to go stay somewhere like just even though they train every day with me i want them to go somewhere and completely disrupt their comfort level mm-hmm. and uh it, it always brings back uh um a positive result the other thing about this new japan dojo other than they've had some amazing trainers throughout the years is that they basically train these guys to be shooters right off the bat they work on fundamental movements strength and conditioning, you know, the element of, of really meeting your opponent in, in full-on one-on-one combat that counts and means something. And I think it gives these guys just a, a head above everyone else because it, they're not learning how, how, to, how to do dance steps. They're learning how to fundamentally move, hold, grab, lift, you know, a, an individual. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to tell someone, hey, you got to put your foot here so I can do the thing. They just understand that a guy's foot's got to be there. So they'll, they'll move a guy wherever he needs to go, and then, boom, hit their, hit their technique versus, you know, waiting for somebody to uh, give you the cue. It sounds like, other than being mentally and physically challenging, that it's a real unique training that I don't know in America that you would ever, could ever replicate that, Josh, because of our laws. Could you make some, Maybe. you know, I don't know. I guess you could say, here's your contract and this is your job description. And that includes cleaning the toilets. Some of the kids clean the toilets, right? Well, I mean, they, they people have chores. You're going to live in a house. You got to pull your weight. That's, I mean, really not an unusual idea. No, right? no, not quite. No, it's not unusual. I just think that it might be hard to sell in America. <laughs> We've got a lot of uh, a lot of luxury here in, in the states, and sometimes it's the thing that's needed is to put yourself in a position of difficulty, of struggle, and to take make yourself uncomfortable. I mean, most things that are difficult to learn are just that difficult. It's gonna be uncomfortable, and you have to get through that and get to the point to where the uncomfortable becomes comfortable. Uh, and until that happens. You know, it's not yours. You don't own it. You you haven't made that that evolution. And I think the dojo is a great way to do it. Uh, the other thing is, you know, who's going to back putting together such a thing? You know, with the company of New Japan to do that, you know, it's possible. But if it's, you know, the ultimate bruiser wants to put together a wrestling school, you know, he doesn't have the funds to have a house and this and that. And so it can be real difficult. And, you know, I understand that to a point. But, I mean, even with me, you know, I train wrestlers, uh, guys for just working, but 
when they come to, to train, they're out there sparring, learning, going through the drills, you know, shoot wrestling, the whole deal. It's like, well, I'll teach you how to, to put together some spots and this and different techniques and all that. But if, if you don't have this understanding, there's not really much I can do for you, at least in my opinion. I like the fact that you teach somebody individual move sets, like takedowns or hip locks yeah. or things like that. And they're done in a a la carte type situation. And that's how yeah. I'm envisioning this, Josh. And then, and correct me if I'm wrong, but then the pro wrestling schools, more often than not, want you to learn a routine, you know, yeah. leapfrog, drop down, hit the ropes, you know, get it again, all that crap. And so I'm thinking that what you're saying is what, that's what I, when I first started refereeing pro wrestling matches in the seventies, that's exactly what guys could do. Now, everybody wasn't a shooter, but we did have Danny Hodge. He counted for two or three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Hey, I was going to ask you, because uh, I was thinking about it the other day, your man, Billy Robinson. I met Billy with Danny Hodge in Charlotte at the uh, Mid-Atlantic uh, Wrestling Convention that Greg Price used to put on. It was a great, great event. I, I really enjoyed going to it. And more importantly, my late wife, Jan, loved it. But I, I had an evening with Billy and Hodge. And, man, here's the deal. And I swear this is true. I watched him. You know, Billy was blind that one eye, right? So, but he, yep. but he kept it on Hodge all the time. He might be talking to me and still, it's like the two old tigers. Not sure. They know this guy can bite, but is he going to bite me or are we okay? I better just keep my eye on this thing. <laughs> and that's how I felt. I felt like two old gunslingers that never unholstered their gun. They always had the gun on their hip. And I just, it was so fun, man. But I was always wondered who taught Billy Robinson how to be the shooter that he is. That'd be some guy that was like this badass in Blackpool that taught those dudes. This is true. Well, that would be Billy Riley. And that would also be, um, Billy Joyce and a variety of the guys over at the snake pit and Wigan. But then, uh, you know, Billy also trained in, uh, uh, freestyle Greco Roman wrestling. And, uh, you know, he had uh, an uncle, I believe it was a boxer. It just that combat sports was, uh, a more regular, well, actually combat sports are, are really, uh, common thing in today's society with the rise of MMA, but back then in there in uh, a much less technologically advanced era, yeah. uh, in Wigan, especially got, that's what they did for fun. They got up on the hill, but people took bets on them and they went at it, man. They, uh, they, they fought, they wrestled, they, uh, went hold for hold. And it, not surprisingly, it produced some tough sons of bitches. I bet. Yeah. Had to, had to. Hey, I had an exchange the other day on, on social media. I made a comment that I was talking about MMA, but I used the USC initials. And I said the USC and WWE have a lot in common. And yeah. the one thing that they are is that they are both attraction-driven and that attractions sell pay-per-views. And what you hope True. is you get a, a two attractions, one against each other, with a personal issue interwoven that's organic and real and not hype and bullshit, and there's something at stake. But you can't do all those things if the guys aren't, quote-unquote, over, if there's not a, a desire to see these guys, if they're not perceived to be a star. Because our society is so spoiled and so soft, we don't pay our money to see just a real good fight. I want to see some sizzle here. Yeah. Now, this guy took exception to that, and I said, look, I'm not knocking USC. You're comparing USC's, what their big goal is, that's to develop stars, that sell pay-per-views and tickets, duh, this WWE, developed stars that will sell pay-per-views and tickets. Where am I wrong here? You're not wrong at all. You, you, you're you hitting it right on the head. And 
you know, seeing a conflict that appears sincere uh, between two two individuals, all right, okay, but you're right in that if the individuals themselves have no draw with the people, if the people just aren't interested in, in them and their, their their personal stories and them as an athlete, then they don't want to watch it. And, you know, it's been like that with boxing. It's been like, I mean, Larry Holmes, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, yet terrible seller. Yeah. People weren't interested. He wasn't over. Uh, he wasn't over. Yeah, he, he didn't get over. And, you know, there's arguments about all kinds of different ways of approaching stuff. But I think the biggest thing is you always got to make sure that whatever it is you do as an at from the athlete side, make sure that you stand out. Because some guys are, they get over not because they're the best or they say the craziest thing or they're the most over the top. People have this really, un- this, this idea that you have to just, you know, um, talk more crap or be louder or have a more obnoxious part to your personality. But it's not about that because, I mean, anybody can be that. It's just you have to have something about you that stands out in an individualistic way that people can either can somewhat relate to or at the very, or even that they can't relate to it at all. And it's so interesting to them that they, they're interested to see more of it. And so fighters, wrestlers, all of them, man, they, they got to be able, they got to be the kind of thing that when you're that thing, it's not something that you can just buy anywhere else. And then from there, a foil will emerge. Conor McGregor, when he first came on the scene, seemed to be an organic, have an organic arrogance, organic kind of a, a rub you the wrong way type personality. But then he got so good at it and we're like a, and a lot of things, Josh, when you're somebody, somebody you're watching gets good at something, it's hard to dislike him. He became an entertainer. And sometimes, obviously, sure he went over the top, right? But I've wondered about his status. I guess he's richer than hell now after the Mayweather fight. Yep. So I give him that. Yeah. So, yeah, hell yeah. Congratulations, Conor McGregor. Buy me a beer sometime. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, you can afford it. Somebody said, well, he's got so much money, he won't want to fight. I don't think people understand that mindset of a fighter. If you've got fights left in you, no matter if your bank account's nice and fat, there's still something there that the money can't scratch that itch. You want, That's true. You want to compete. And he seems to me like he loves the, yeah. loves the attention, Josh, and I think he'll compete again in the USC. What do you think of that assumption? You think he's going back sometime well, in the octagon or no? I think there is 100% legitimacy to your statements, by far. I mean, hell, why do... Some of these old wrestlers keep getting in the ring. It's not because they're making a bunch of money doing indie shows. Right. It's because they live for the moment, you know? And it's that's not a thing that you can get just anywhere. You can't buy that. It doesn't exist that way. And with Connor, money is going to play a factor also in that he's realized what he can earn. And so there's going to be a battle within him about, well, I want to fight, but I don't want to sell myself cheaper than I have to. I prove that I can make this, you know, there's going to be a part of them that's like, well, I still deserve to, to make X amount of money. And uh, the UFC is going to say no. <laughs> and that's where the head's going to come at um, in, in terms of making that, that happen again. Uh, but I do believe, I would, I would be surprised if Connor, from simply being as wealthy as he is now, would just not want to fight. Hell, I mean, for me, if I you know, got $50 million or whatever it is that Connor got, I would most certainly fight more. I, it would make it so much easier to fight, to be perfectly honest. I mean, even to the point of 
or I would actually be fine with making less money because I wouldn't care anymore. At least this is me. And, uh, you know, I, I try to almost do everything I could to fulfill any sort of, uh, I don't know, MMA related, you know, bucket list more than, you know, go out there and try to make as much money as possible. Yeah. Different motivation. It's not the financial motivation as much as there's a, you're a warrior. Guys that do that, and like yourself, have been fighting all their life in various arenas and platforms. It's just, that's like somebody says, well, you know, JR, why do you like doing the New Japan stuff? Because I'm a wrestling announcer. For 40 years, I've done this. So why wouldn't I like doing it? It's not, it has nothing to do with that. I need to get some more grocery money or I need to make a car payment. I do it because I, I love to get paid. Don't get me wrong. I do it because I really enjoy the process. I enjoy the calling wrestling matches. And these guys, by and large, I think you and I have agreed on, sometimes there's things we see that are kind of eye-rolling. Uh, at least that's me. But there's a lot yeah. of really good stuff. Really good yes, stuff. Yes, 100%. I love wrestling, too. I mean, some of the, some of the, uh, some of the Internet-based guys out there have a, have a tendency to try and equate my philosophy on wrestling as being a very narrow focused, very specific style concept, but that's not it at all. I absolutely love the living shit out of wrestling and, and my background into wrestling comes from a very storied in, in, and, uh, uh, a very storied lineage. At least the way I see it, when, if you get the chance to walk amongst you know, the living legends, it really changes the way you feel and look at things. And to be there and get pulled in to do photo ops with uh, Inoki and Sayama and Fujiwara. And I mean, just you're standing there and I end up here. You know, I don't know why they they, they have any idea that, that I'm here, but I feel like I don't belong because these guys are just incredible. And to be able to be mentored by Anoki and Billy Robinson and get to train with Carl Gotch and to see how deep this goes and how this goes across time and, and just all the stuff that's involved with it, it, it made wrestling even that much more important and such a deeper, more embedded element to what it is that I do in terms of combat sports. You mentioned Connor, and we both agree that Connor has not had his last uh, UFC fight unless they can't come to terms. So that's always the case, I guess. You said about anybody. I, with you, I, I think he's going to fight again. I think he has fun mm-hmm. doing it. I think he likes to be in the center of attention. He likes to see if he can set more records in his genre. But could you see him, all of the guy that made him rich, Floyd Mayweather, who uh, had a in-ring session with the big show in, night, in WrestleMania 24 in Orlando. Could you see in your wildest creativity – or does it take that to see Conor McGregor in a one-off at a WrestleMania someday? No, I wouldn't be surprised. There's a couple of ways I see it, though, and one would be some of these fighters think that wrestling is just this thing that isn't, that is just a big goof, and you run in and you act over the top, and then you, you because of the WWE, you get paid a, a boatload of uh, uh, money, and then you laugh all the way to the bank how you were just you you got to go out there and act a fool. Then there are those that are actual legitimate fans of wrestling who would view being a part of that as a very I don't know once in a lifetime achievement and something they'd be very proud about. So I don't know which side of the the equation would be that he would fall on, but at the very least, 
he would do he would do the former if if uh, only hopefully he was more into the latter. Yeah, uh, you know he's kind of adapted the Mr. McMahon strut to the ring during the uh, press conferences for for Mayweather. He'd come on stage just like Vince used to do back in the Attitude Era. So we got to believe that Connor somewhere along the way more than likely watched a little WWE even in Ireland because it's big there. So yeah. uh, that wouldn't surprise me, and I. I could see a, a interesting synergy, but you know, I said this in interviews. People now they just they run with it. I have no inside information that WWE and Connor have even spoken. I assume that yeah. big money guys like him and McMahon is an entrepreneur. He is a he is a, a great great promoter. Why wouldn't you at least make a outreach to somebody that you know will, that has a proven pay per view audience? Because I agree with you, right? So uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's too obvious. To not have some contact, in my view. So, and what about Ronda? Yeah. Can you see Ronda in WWE? Apparently, she's done some training. Uh, I, I hear that. But what do you think of that situation? Because I don't see her coming back to the USC anytime soon. Do you? I, you know, I never talk to her about such a thing. You know, I never really get into it. Um, you know, we know each other and everything. And uh, and I helped train. I trained Travis Brown for his last match. And you know, uh, Marina, Jessamine, and Shana are all my students. And uh, you know, so, you know, we, we know each other and everything, but I, I never really got into that kind of depth of conversation with her. But, uh, well, based on her personality, she, and you know, knowing her as you do, Josh, based on her personality, because I've only know, I've spoken to her at a couple of NXT events. She's very nice, a sweet smile. I'm a big fan of her in ring work. And she lost a couple of fights. Doesn't affect me yeah. one iota. Don't care. It doesn't. It won't affect her in WWE either if she goes there. But I'm just wondering, because you know her much better than I ever will. How's her personality? Is she fun loving? Does she like to have a little fun on TV? You think she would, personality wise, fit the mold? She's intense. I'll give her. I, I can say that much. She has a very, very, very uh, high level of intensity in her personality. That's why she was able to be as successful as she was at MMA. And when you know her training regimens are you know, incredibly hard at times. And, and she's just that kind of person that can take it up to to gears that most people never even thought of. Um, and she's obviously a very highly skilled athlete with a, a whole lifetime of judo work, which in my opinion, judo is a great segue into wrestling because you, you learn how to bump in judo right off the bat. That's one of the absolute very first things you got to learn. And you're throwing and being thrown constantly. Plus, a lot of their judo drills uh, involve a lot of uh, flow and touch, which helps a lot also with uh, doing wrestling. I know that uh, Santino Morello is, was more of a comedic gimmick guy at the end, you know, for a good portion of his career, and he, he did it well. But uh, he's a judo background guy and a full-on shooter, so it wasn't hard for him to make that progression. But I know Ronda's been training, and I know she has, you know, Shayna introduced wrestling to Ronda and got her hooked. So uh, I don't, maybe that uh, maybe that that candle is, is getting lit and it's going from a smolder into a flame. I don't know. But if she decides that she really wants to be a worker and do the best that she can at it, uh, with that intense, very hyper-focused mind of hers, if she puts her sights on it, I think she can, she can easily do it. Yeah, I think she's got the... Uh... A personality and the ability, you know, her walking to the ring was a, one of the, my favorite parts of the her matches. It sounds like what well, Jr. is really not an MMA fan. I'm a fan of being entertained. Her beating people up, her fighting, entertain me. Her entrance, yeah. entertain me. 
Her exit, yes, her, exit, her exit with her mother more often than not entertained me. So shame on me. I liked it all. I liked every bit of it. Hey, you mentioned this is true. You mentioned Shana, Shana Baszler. You trained her extensively. To the, the fans that aren't familiar with her, what are they going to like? The WWE fans. What, what are they going to like about Shana? And uh, what can you tell us about her that they may not know? Because I found her extremely intelligent, very intense. And I was so happy that she went to the finals of the May Young tournament. And I can see where there's great things could happen with her if she makes the progress we think she will. Agreed, agreed. And uh, I'm staying in touch with her and you know, trying to continue to offer my, my mentorship, uh, even when she's down there in uh, Orlando. The thing about Shana is she is a huge professional wrestling fan, not just in a term, not just the kind of person that just watches it and likes watching wrestling. But she knows the history of wrestling. She's proud of being in that professional wrestling lineage. That's what she considers herself. Uh, she's tried managed to get her opportunities to train with Billy in the past. She knows that she comes from that lineage through training with me, through the Gotch and Robinson lineage. She really respects the history uh, of professional wrestling, from when it was all shoots to becoming works to you know, wherever it's going now. And it's important to her to make sure that that's respected. And so the other thing is, is that she's, I trained her in more of a uh, old school setup. And so while uh, she is adaptable and capable of, you know, I think she's, she's good on the mic. She's great with dealing with the crowds. Uh, she's, she's very great at the improv, uh, in terms of, of, of working with whoever's out there, but, uh, you know, she's hard hitting, she's snug, and she knows how to get in there and get right on her opponent and, and make you believe it. And I think that's going to really stand out when you have a lot of folks that are more about more about gimmicks than they are about just being the thing that they want to represent as a wrestler. And she's all about being a wrestler and gimmicks second. Yeah, I agree. She is. She's all business. She wants to get better. And she's got that competitive edge from all these years of fighting in, the, in MMA. She wants to be successful. And that's what drives a lot of fighters, in my view, because it sure as hell ain't an easy life, as you can attest. They want to be successful. Yeah. They want to be good at something. And they truly believe that this is their calling. I believe, she believes that WWE is her calling. I think she's going to do great. I look at things a little differently as an, as an old Booker person. I see Shayna on the right road becoming a great opponent for Charlotte or Asuka. Mm. Yeah. She's threatening to anybody because she's not a little diva. She's got muscular. Yeah. I think folks are going to love her when they, when she gets unrolled there. And she just, to, to me, very, very impressive. And they've done a hell of a job there. Paul Levesque and William Regal and all the crew down there, Matt Bloom, of finding the women, signing the women, training the women, and getting them in the ring. Uh, I don't think I can ever remember since the days of Billy Wolf and Mildred Burke and June Byers, where there are more women out there making a living in, in, uh, in wrestling. Yeah, there's been a, quite a shift, hasn't there? Yeah. And there's a lot of women getting out there and getting in the ropes and, and going after it versus there was, you know, a period in the 90s, it was just more of a, of a cheesecake thing. It wasn't yeah. really about wrestling. No. And that's really changed over. Uh, girls like uh, one of my students, Nicole Savoy, and like I'd sent Shana over before, they're going off to Japan and doing tours with stardom and, you know, training in the dojo every day and living that Japanese wrestling life uh, on the road and in the dojo and committing themselves to, to being full on hard hitting wrestlers and then coming back over here 
and and applying what they've learned uh, in these American rings and see that you know it's just another pool of athletes that can possibly be that one that inspires or catches the eye of, of the of the wrestling fan out there. And I, I for one, support it. Me too. Me too. Big time. Big time. Quickly, you also have trained Harry Smith, yeah. the large son of the late British Bulldog, the grandson of Stu. Uh-uh. The series of tough kid, he's a bastard. <laughs> Harry, Harry Smith. Every time I see him, I'm thinking, how much bigger, how much stronger, how much more imposing can this kid get? He's a damn beast. And I know this is his little kid. I mean, little kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how good can he be? He still has a lot of untapped potential, in my opinion, because, you know, for one, I really want to get him to move out here for and do a, just a stint in Southern California um, and just train with me and with others around here as much as possible. Uh, every time he comes out, he's always by the end of it, he's like, oh, man, I, I thought I was here on this, but I, I realize I need more. He, I need to work on this and on this. And, and man, I got so much better doing that. And it's just like, yeah, dude. I mean, this is the environment that's going to take you to that level. But Harry is good about as he's on the road finding places to go train, going into jujitsu schools and roll with guys. And then he's, uh, he's made a, a good friendship with uh, Tiger Mask with Sayama, who has a dojo there in Tokyo. And he goes and he trains with, uh, with a bunch of the guys out of there, um, various, you know, shoot kickboxers and grapplers and everything. And so Harry stays busy and he tries to train even when he's on the road with whoever he can. So Suzuki uh, is his guy. He's part of Suzuki Goon. So, when he can, he trains under Minoru Suzuki too, and uh, you know he, again, he really embodies that that old school mentality, and he's all about going and learning how to be a full on you know shooter and learning the elements of it, and then you know putting together his matches from whatever is necessary out there. But uh, uh, Harry, man, he's floating two sixty, two seventy, and he's missing his training regimen dialed in. And man, it, he was one of the most naturally strong people I'd ever met in my life, as it was. Yeah, he's spe- he's special. He's a beast. I know one thing. His grandpa would be very proud of him. A hundred percent. Yeah, and, and he's and I know uh, Stu would also be very proud of Natty. Natty's a huge uh, role model for those women because she didn't get there easily, and she's made her way. She's earned her way, and so Natty is perfect to match up with Charlotte. They can push each other. They can get better. That could be a really mm-hmm. long-term rivalry that you could renew here, there, and yon. It made sense. Natty and, and Charlotte. They're both excellent. Really good. Hey, uh, besides our big voiceovers for the Russell Kingdom show, again, folks, uh, the big special is going to air on Saturday night. The Russell Kingdom show is J- January 4, and then the same day, January 4, for us, we're going to be, Josh and I are going to be voicing over those three main events for the Saturday night special. Saturday night, check your listings. Three hours, Access TV on Saturday. Uh, what, what is that Saturday? Is that 6? I think it's the 6th. The 6th of January. Yeah, so, I think that is the 6th. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So uh, circle out on your calendar. You know, there's a lot of ways to check it out where you can watch it. Direct TV, so I watch it, Channel 340 and Direct TV. A lot of cable systems have it. There's a Sling, I think, has it. Yes, Access is on Sling. That's 100% true. Although uh, I'm not as familiar with the Sling box as, as many, but, yeah, it's just another option out there. Uh, to go and watch full-on actual television in addition to different cable channels as well. Yeah, that's great. So we'll bring our A-game, folks. I promise you that. As you heard, Josh and I both have the same philosophy. I'm not watching one frame of video 
until we sit down and get it get it on. So it makes it a better story for you guys. We'll do a better job. But I'm looking forward to it, buddy. I hope you have a really good uh, holiday season. What are you doing this month? Anything exciting in December? Well, I'll be attending the the Misfits reunion show. But that's really thing. Uh, I just got back from Buffalo uh, wrestling on this uh, tid the season for this band called Every Time I Die. They did a big thing of wrestling as well as uh, uh, live bands. I wrestled Timothy Thatcher, a student of mine, and you know, we put 12 minutes worth of work in there and uh, beat the hell out of each other and changed, changed the pace up a little bit. And uh, my buddy Andy Williams, he's a guitar player for Every Time I Die. He went out and uh, uh, wrestled in front of his home crowd and uh, knocked the house down. It was a, a great experience. And I'm running a, a catch wrestling tournament here in Southern California at Brea High School on the 17th of February. Um, it'll be like our sixth tournament we've done so far. Uh, then I think, uh, well, beyond uh, doing the, the voiceover with you, uh, about time, time to set some stuff up. Uh, myself and Sakuraba are involved in a new grappling team grappling project called Quintet. And we don't have, uh, we haven't settled on the date and location, but uh, sometime early next year, uh, we'll be out there on the mats uh, with this new project of ours. Cool, cool. Well, keep me posted. I'm looking forward to that. Look, I look forward to seeing you. Thanks for taking some time to jump on and, and talk about our uh, mutual business with uh, Access TV. I look, forward mm-hmm. to, I look forward to working with you, and I think we're going to have some great uh, content to deal with. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, likewise, man. It's always my pleasure, JR. Uh, lucky man, folks, Josh Barnett is the perfect partner for me to have. I said it before, I mean it sincerely, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we'll be kicking some ass, I promise you. He's a competitive guy. I'm a competitive guy. Our naysayers will say this, both those guys have giant egos. You're right again. And we're going to bring that ego and our A game to Wrestle Kingdom on Access TV. I guarantee you. Now, another guy that uh, I enjoy talking to that I've known for a lot longer than I even want to, 30 years? Are you kidding me? Kevin Nash, WWE Hall of Famer, coming up momentarily. But not before I thank one of our great sponsors who makes this podcast possible and free, and that's True Car. Now, if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what the hell that stands for. But what does it actually mean? What does it mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. Good Lord. It's enough to confuse anybody. Even Mr. Barnett. <laughs> I never drove. I had a driver. Indeed you did. But back to the business. All you're really looking for is a price on this vehicle that actually means something. Can it mean something? Introducing true price from true car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories before you even get to the dealership. True car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home. How do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same vehicle that you want. And your certified dealers know this. So they set their true price competitively so that they can win your business. There you are. Win your business with great pricing. So when you're ready to buy a new or a used car, Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Merry Christmas, Dean. Here you go. You're on. Well, thank you, JR. This the, uh, some, some features are not available in all states. I apologize. I had the cooking sherry for dinner. 
2017 was a great year for us here at Podcast One, and we hope it was a great year for you. We launched new shows with Caitlin Bristow, Jim Harbaugh, Dick Enberg, and Randy Jackson. We've had some amazing guests stop by some of our shows, like Brian Cranston on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Juliette Louis-Dreyfus on All of the Above with Norman Lear. And Jason Bateman on Spike's Car Radio with Spike Ferriston. We are looking forward to a bright 2018 with new shows coming online, like MySpace Tom Anderson. And we are welcoming back Dennis Miller to the podcast scene. This is Heather Dubrow. Happy holidays. Cheers. I'm Caitlin Bristow, and I want to wish you happy holidays. Hey, guys, it's Kelsey Knight from the Lady Gang. Happy holidays. We'll see you in the new year. From all of us here at Podcast One, we want to wish you a very happy holiday and a happy new year. Before we welcome Big Sexy. I just love saying that. He's driving a lot of crazy. His son, Brian Christopher, is a hell of a hand, by the way. Too sexy. Stop it. Before we welcome WWE Hall of Famer Kevin Nash to this very podcast, I just want to remind you folks once again, very quickly, hit that subscribe button, Apple Podcasts, cost you nothing, takes about a minute, maybe two, if you're slow like me, and new episodes of this program will be automatically delivered to your phone or your tablet as soon as they're released on Tuesday nights at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific Time. And, of course, you can leave us that five-star rating like you would a five-star recruit football or in a review at Apple Podcasts. It's free. It helps us a bunch. And I thank you. This is the Ross Report. You know, I, I love the uh, Twitter description of my guest, Hall of Fame guest. I love it because here's what it says. Insomniac, Detroit-born, Native American, left-handed, Army veteran, Hall of Fame wrestler, actor, anti-hate, a Tennessee Vol. And by God, he's on Instagram at Nash5959. Kevin Nash, you rascal, how are you, buddy? Good, Jim. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, thank you. Thank you. I hope you're having a great holiday season, other than me calling you in the middle of the night. you had. I saw a picture. Uh, one of your tweets went out. Of course, that's at Real Kevin Nash on Twitter for you folks. Man, that's a nasty uh, scarlet right knee. Oh. Yeah, that, well, I mean, it was just, God, you know, before I ever, ever got into wrestling, I, I, I started playing some pro ball over in Europe, and I uh, pretty much destroyed my uh, my right knee and had several surgeries in Detroit to see if they could fix it, and they really never could fix it right, so I ended up getting into wrestling, and uh first two or three years I did it, I didn't really need a brace, and after that I had to pretty much have a brace like uh, like Steve did. Pretty much did everything with the, you know, the stability of the knee was pretty much gone. And then during the 30 years of, of wrestling, it just, it got worse and worse and worse. It just got to the point where I was in Minneapolis and I was catching a flight 85 miles between gates and there was an older woman, probably, you know, 65, carrying a bag. Well, I mean, but, I mean, she's, you know, 65. Definitely old, old. <laughs> I mean, that's that's only that's only seven years on me. Oh, here you. <laughs> and you know, she whizzed by me, and I said, "Dude, I'm gonna catch her." And <laughs> I just kind of, I, I I tried to grind it down, and just like around about fifty, sixty yards into it, I was just like, "I'm not gonna catch her." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it's "That that little bit of a sprint I put into it, you know, like pretty much paralyzed me, and I had to go over and sit down and." I actually waited for the, uh, the the guy in the car to come take me to my gate. I just said, "I got to get this fixed. This is ridiculous." 
So they rebuild it, or they re- replace it, or what? What did you do? Yeah, they they, repla- they replaced it. But what what had happened was I had had so many breaks and tears and other surgeries in that same leg that when they went in it, like you know, you, it, it, it's pretty cut and dry the way they've got it now. They they, they kind of open your knee up. They put a template on the top of it. They pretty much shave the bone off on that side. They put a template on the bottom. They shave the bone on that side. They put a template behind the kneecap. They shave that off. Jeez. They've got some insertions and they put it all together and it just kind of goes together like a kind of almost like a Lego and it <laughs> and they just shut you up. The surgery is about an hour long and it, when they did mine, my, my bone that was uh, my tip fib at the bottom was so crooked and so turned that when they went to put the to align the knee, the knee, the, the actual knee joint itself wouldn't align. So they had to do a bunch of uh, you know another two and a half hours with a surgery to break scar tissue and move screws and you know pretty much undo 30 years of, of damage i didn't get a fix i hand grenaded it so it was i hear you well look it's hopefully when the damn rehab gets passed you're going to be able to have a lot more mobility and get around and probably of course somebody's going to call you wanting to book you for a wrestling match once you get your knees fixed you know that yeah well good luck yeah right yeah i, I hear you hey uh yeah. You know, if Jerry Briscoe listens to the show this week, and sometimes he does, the way you describe your surgery where they lay the meat open and he shaved the bone, he's probably vomiting right now. You know, he's got a weak I stomach. Should, you remember that? I should, yeah, I should send Jerry. But you know what? I, I, will, I will say one thing. You know, when I had my, uh, I tore my tricep off the bone and gee, I forget where I was. I, I think I was up in Syracuse someplace and they flew me down to Birmingham and got it fixed and was in my room recovering and I just looked down at the end of my bed and there was Jerry. <laughs> and I was just like the only guy, like the only, the only guy at the I mean, you know, just Jerry was there. Yes. I was just making sure, you know, I always had, I always had a really good relationship with Jerry. Yeah. But, uh, me too. You know. He's as good as there is. He's a salt oh, yeah. old school, honest. And if his word ain't good, then he ain't no good, and he's a real good yeah, man. You know? uh, he's, he's a good man. Uh, I was thinking, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, just a few minutes ago, that 30 years in the business. I can't believe that. God, yeah, already. Right. Yeah, geez. What the hell? It's really, it's really, it's really 28, but as you, get, you just said wrestling, wrestling around. Uh, of course. That was a hell of a house. 30,000 people there. <laughs> Five yeah. five thousand capacity. They're standing everywhere. It's amazing. But yeah, it's it's a long way. You know, I told the story of my stage show that you know you were my one of my regular reoccurring guests on my radio show in Atlanta on WSB. Oh, yeah. We discovered that Kevin was very glib and a very good talker, and all of a sudden there became a little interest in him because seven footers that can talk don't grow on trees. Yeah. I'm glad that we were at the same place and we were. On that journey, and this it was kind of cool. When you were yeah. when you were WCW, was your goal? Because mine was, was your goal to eventually get to WWE? Oh yeah, that was always the thing. People would say to you, "It's a man, you know, you go to WWE and be like, no, 'I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready.'" You know, it was like being called up to the Yankees. Like, no, I'm not ready to be called up to the Yankees. Yeah. You had a busy year. I saw some stuff you're doing on uh, your movie works picked up. Seems like you're staying busy. Yeah, I mean, I, I stay busy enough. There's some kind of signing, you know. If any of us that have any notoriety, you know, I mean, you and I could probably go out Friday, Saturday, Sunday every day the rest of our lives and sign someplace. Sure. You know, so I mean, there's 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 definitely work, you know, if you want it. I mean, you know, thank God for that network. Keeps everybody but, alive, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. And an eight-year-old kid, and it, you know, and well, you know, an adult 
binge watch or something on Netflix. Yeah. They grabbed, you know, the best of Jim Ross and watched 12 matches that you called. And hopefully in one of those matches, I'm in it. And then they go back through and find your stuff. And then it just kind of domino effects. And it's next thing you know, it, it, they, 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 you know, they're kind of smart up to the you know, whole era that they weren't, you know, even born to. So I like mailbox money. Well, uh, the quarterly royalty checks yes. have been better. They've been worse, but they're always appreciated. Uh, but yeah. I, I like them going out to my mailbox and picking up a check or podcast or whatever. Mailbox money at my stage of life, Kevin, is a big deal. I like it. I mean, I, even if it's pro wrestling tees and it's $113, I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, all right. Damn right, buddy. You're damn right. Hey, $113 is four days of work when I started in the business. 25- exactly. Jesus Christ. I went to Boston here a while back. When I got back, the big news was that uh, Vince is going to start some sort of personal business venture, Alpha Entertainment. I haven't talked to anybody there about it. Don't, it's none of my business. But I'm betting you this. If Vince McMahon is going to start a company and they are maybe going to do football in some form or other things, I will tell you this, Kevin. I don't know if you agree or not. I bet it's been researched to death. I bet he's spent a lot of money to understand the lay of the land, rights fees, because I was told that the ratings we got back in the day for the XFL would be worth a hell of a lot of money right now in rights fees. All right. So does it bother you that he's going to be not – able to focus 100% of his time on the core product because it doesn't me because he's got Hunter. He's got Paul Levesque there who I think, you know, he's, he's done a great job. He's built that down to NXT to where it means something. No, I, I, I think the company's in great hands. I think that, you know, the Vince doesn't like to have a black, a black mark anywhere on his dossier. And, you know, at the beginning, I mean, the numbers were great and it was just wrong place. Wrong, I mean, you know, it just, it, it wasn't the right place, right time. Right. Yeah. It got a good buzz in the beginning. And if we had had better football, because the first week they bolted from the A game with Matt Baskersian and Jesse Ventura, and they came to me, Lawler, and Coach, which we were an afterthought because they didn't think they'd ever come to our game. Uh, but uh, they did, and, and we had a good finish. But you know, the, the quality of football was about as good as you would think, Kevin. It's like trying to start a pro basketball league and, oh. and having no exhibition games, right. no practice time. You know, I, don't, I don't know how they played as good as they did, but in any event, if it's football – or whatever it's going to be, i got to believe that Vince loves research. He loves research. He's a smart guy. I'm thinking that there'll be a good game plan there. Look, is there any doubt in anybody's mind that Hunter's not going to be the next guy? No. Not mine. Come on. We, you know, I mean, he's one of my closest friends, but that, that doesn't cloud my judgment. If he, if he had bad ideas, he'd, he'd, you know, he'd have bad ideas. You know, the, the word on the street, well, he's going to take his eye off the core product. I believe if anybody's not watched NXT, I wonder what, why they're listening to my show and they're not watching NXT. You're a wrestling fan. And if you see it, then you see what he can build and what he has built with his, with his team. And that company right now is loaded with talent. Loaded with talent. Oh. Jeez. And here's the thing. I love this one, man. And, I, and I, you've been on both sides of the fence as an administrator and as a talent. But, you know, sometimes the guy's got to take uh, be a little ballsy. And if you have confidence, and I'll tell you this, the old man loves that. He, he, oh, absolutely. He loves, he loves that. He kind of likes confrontation, no doubt. But he loves the synergy and that it can create when you come in loaded with an idea or two. Yeah, well, I remember one time so I was talking to Vince, and maybe it was the it wasn't the last WrestleMania. I think it was the one before, 
And I just asked him how things were, and he goes, he said, ah, you know, he says, you know, the thing that's changed more than anything, he says, you know, back when, when, when you broke in, you know, here in the Fed, he said, you know, it was a shark tank. Like, everybody went after the, that top prize. And, I mean, you know, it was a battle. He said, these son of bitches now wait for him to come around with a, with a sword and anoint them. <laughs> It's just not the same anymore. Yeah, he's very perceptive. That's why when people say, well, you know, he's 72 years old. Yeah, I don't know how old he is. What's that mean? Because I'm more sensitive to that than uh, maybe I would have been 20 years ago. Absolutely. You know, I can still put the sentences together. You know, I can still articulate those things. He's a smart guy anyway. God. Yeah, how old's Buffett? Oh, God, he's older than that. A lot older than right. that. Right. 85 in Buffett's. Let me have a little uh, Berkshire <laughs> Class A stock that's at $295,000 a share. <laughs> oh, God, that's scary. That is scary, man. This, how, how's your stocks doing? You're, that's the thing about Kevin. I was going to ask this toward the end, but a lot of these young dudes could take a page out of his playbook. But Kevin handled his money well. Guys can listen to this and say, well, well what's the big deal about that? Because we're in a goddamn business where we have a lot of sophomores that never graduate or grow up. Right. They think that it's never going to end and that they can spend a little bit more than they make every week and it really won't matter. And it does matter. How's your, your stock business? Are you okay? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where the top of my pyramid doesn't even have any purple. I'm not even in anything that's, that's even minutely high risk. Awesome. We should talk about you know, that sometime. I'm, I have the same philosophy. Yeah, it's, I'm at the point now where, you know, I, I was I was smart enough to get into a lot of, you know, the blue chips, the Kimberly Clarks, all the Procter Gambles, all the ones that, you know, the people that are not sexy, but year in, year out, including 2008 and 2009 when when, when the recession hit and, and, the, and the market crashed, you know, those 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 uh, stocks still pay dividends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're smart. The, yeah. the guys, have got, they have to educate themselves. I got a guy in Connecticut because I started making a little bit more money when I, one of my reappearances there for the duration. And I hired this guy, and he works on a flat fee. He didn't write any checks. He didn't move any money around unless we discuss it. But I've had him 19 years now, almost 20. Some years he's made me 17%, 16%, 14%. Even in the last couple of three years, I'm still making about 5 or 6% on all my cash. Well, see, that's my whole thing is I, that's my, all, all my buddies like, you know, I'm making, you know, 21%, 22%. I'm like, well, I don't know if you're in it because I tell you right now, so dude, like, I, I, I'm happy to make 7%. Yeah. Man. And you got a nice little nest egg that you're okay. You're okay. So let y'all wrestlers listen to the show and I appreciate it too. But man, I'm sure Kevin would concur. Plan your journey here. Just Figure out a game plan on what you can, what you're going to make, and what you're going to spend. And remember, Uncle Sam, every quarter, ten ninety nine, he's looking at you. Absolutely. And another thing too, you know, is, is I remember uh, Chief uh, Strongborough, Jay. He uh, when I first started making some money, he said to me, he says, "Go buy yourself a place." He says, "He said you grew up where I said I grew up, you know, in South Side of Detroit." He said, "In your wildest dreams." You know, when you were growing up, he said, go, go find a place. And I did, and I found a place down on the ocean, a three-bedroom, three-bath condo. And I paid cash for it. He said, you know, and I told him I did it. And he says, he says now, he says, he says, you no longer are owned by the business. He says, because what everybody does is they go out and they buy the $5 million house. 
they're paying for that the rest of their lives. Yep. I remember one time I, I bought a, a huge uh, oceanfront lot I was going to build on it, and I had I spent almost thirty thousand dollars in the prelims and to get the architectures on there and everything else. And I just one day I just looked at the guy and I said, "What do you think my property taxes are going to be?" And he said, "Oh, probably around thirty-five thousand dollars a year." And I said, "Oh, jeez!" And I sat there and I did the math and I said, "That's what I want. I want to be seventy-four years old and, and, and not and, and not be able to afford my property taxes." Yeah. I can't get you know, I can't get oil in my new in my walker. Yeah, like I said, no. I said I'll I'll, I'll go small. Well, so. I uh, that's smart. My wife Jan was such a good uh, manager. She she really helped us. Uh, with a lot of that stuff, and I miss her for a lot of reasons, obviously, but we had hardly nothing. When we got married and got WWE, you know, I was only there 10 months when I got let go, and then I came back, and then I got let go again, and then I came back finally for good and uh, until, you know, a few years ago. You know, that job of talent relations, uh. I, I did the best I could for a long time. I hired a lot of good guys and, you know, worked with a lot of good you guys. You were fair. I tried to be. You were fair. No, I never had a problem with you. I, I thought you were always fair. But man, it, you, it burns the candle, and I I needed to get away from it, and I I'm glad I did. But you know, it's one of those deals where Kevin, you know, you you say you're always going to do these things. Me and Jan have talked about. She's an Italian. We talked about going to Italy for years. We had the money for years to do that. I never could unbook myself to go. I never asked Vince for a vacation. Two decades I was there. I never took a vacation day ever. I ain't bragging about oh. it. Just I was a workaholic. And only a wife like that would have tolerated my BS. Promise you. Well, yeah, when Vince sets the standard, yep. You know, when Vince is working twenty hours a day and you're working nineteen, then you feel like you're loaf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's you a, know, he's a machine and, man. Yeah, and, 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 and that was my whole thing too. Is you know, people always say, "Hey, why don't you come back and do this? Why don't you come back and do that?" I said, "You don't understand." I said, "There's prep." I said. To, to do an announced job. I said, that, so to do that right, that's a three to four day prep a week job. I said, that's a job. Yeah, it is. Sure is. So you don't just go in there and just run a couple of gag lines out of your mouth and, and call a spot here and there. I mean, you've got to send those production offices. You've got to know where everything's going and you, you, know, you can't step on anybody's toes and it's like... <sighs> Like man, I said, I, you know, I, I, I've done my time. You know, I, I, I'm not afraid to work, and I, and I still, I mean, I'm sure I'll work till the day I die, but it'll, it'll be on, it'll be on my, you know, on, on my time. Yeah, and your job description. Yeah. See, that's a neat thing about where we are in our careers, and I'm so blessed and I'm happy about it. My book, Slobberknocker's doing great. Getting ready to have a fourth printing. There's a movie people interested in it. We're going to meet with in the first week in January, after hopefully Oklahoma wins the Rose Bowl, which I hope. I don't know. Got to see. So, you know. They look good. Yeah, they're, for, they're offensively they're great, and Georgia's defense is great, so it's the old deal. Something's got to give. And I normally lean, lean toward the defense, but I don't know. I hope I'm wrong on that one. So, I'm, of course, pulling from my team. But nonetheless, guys that are our stage of life, it's a cool thing to finally get, because I as poor as a church mouse, just like you were. And uh, when I know that I don't have debt and I work my ass oh. off to get out of debt, and that's a simple deal for these young millennial kids. God damn, what is your plan to get out of debt? As long as you're in debt, Kevin, you're still somebody's prisoner. As I said, I, you know, I, I, buy, I, I buy cash for cars. Like my daily driver is a 2005 Mustang. My, my backup driver is a 93 Bronco. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, it, it's... It's the same Bronco. You've had that Bronco forever. Oh, yeah. I've had the Bronco forever. And it's just like, to me, it's one of those things of... 
Was that a payoff? You know, was that a payoff vehicle? You meant it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it was a uh, SummerSlam payoff. I, I remember just talking about that. Yeah, funny. Yeah, I, I, got a, I got a I got a payoff on SummerSlam. Went and bought it. Well, and you're smart with your money. And guys that have been broke or, or come from broke or come from hardship or whatever, we get it. We get it, you know. Uh, I, yeah. But the business facilitated that for me. I can't say that my portfolio was going to make it, but I wouldn't have had the portfolio if I hadn't had the business. So to me, the wrestling business was everything. It still is everything. And maybe a little bit too much for me at this point in my life. But, damn, I still I still enjoy it. I still enjoy watching it sometimes. I watched the uh, Clash of Champions in Boston, Kevin. I watched it. I guess I was uh-huh. really ready for Really ready for something. Are you away from the product long enough now that you don't really watch that much anymore, or do you do you keep up with it online? What's your connection to it? I would think that what I do is that I um, I DVR Raw every Monday, and I usually will get on Twitter the next morning and see what like all the hype, like see what all the you know all the all the hype is, mm-hmm. and then I'll go through. And I'll, I'll watch those specifics. Like, that's the first thing I do is I'll watch those specific things. Like, you know, this was good. Like, you know, like, like when I woke up, I remember the morning where, where Reigns and Cena kind of shot on each other. Right. You know, and it was just like, so, you know, to me, as, as, as a wrestling fan, I mean, it's like, to me, I'm like, okay, did they work the people? Did they not work the people? Like, so that, now I'm excited because I want to see if it was just a good work. Or they did really shoot, you know, and I watched it. And I'm like, hey, you know, it's there's some stuff in there that I'm sure was shot off the hip right there. And, you know, and it's just, uh, and I watched that. And then, so then you, you know, now, now you salivate. Now you, now you want to watch. And, you know, the next thing you know, you're, 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 you know, now you're just sifting through the commercials and you, you, you're, you watch the show. But, but other times I'll watch it, you know, it's, it, it just won't catch me. And I, I won't go as, as deep. And you know, but it's also it's depends on who they're who they're pushing. But when they start put, using Strowman, of course I'm a big guy, so I want to see how they're using them and if they're going to use them right. Of course, like just certain guys that you would never think of a million years, like a Finn Balor, that just entrance alone yeah. he comes across like a star. Yeah, great music. I mean, he just yeah. cut, right. I mean, just the lighting, his pose. I mean, it's just he just has that. And of course, we're all going to be old school Larry sitting in our, our recliner saying, slow down, kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every day, every week, I say something along those lines. Jeez, uh, I do. I'm just like, you know what? Like, you, you, you could still be on the floor selling that one bump. You've taken two cents. Right. The way, man. You know, there was a Twitter verse jousting, for lack of a better term, between Jim Cornette and Daniel Cormier and some other people on their side of the issue and uh the young bucks cody rhodes on the other side of the issue and some of their supporters there was a spot i guess in the ring of honor pay-per-view where they they did a six-man tag they did this spot where two guys drop kicked each other bump two more guys got up they both went for drop kick bump and then the next two guys also all six did it and then they did it in synchronization and people were saying, well, you know, it's a little bit too choreographed, and the guys are taking too many bumps, and they're not selling what they take. Where do you stand on that? It's kind of a trend right now, it seems like. More spectacular, dangerous bumps. I said all the time, bumps on the apron are bad, and bumps on the concrete floor are bad. So where, do you, where are you at on that matter? Do you think the guys are working a little bit quicker than they should? They're going to say, well, look, Kevin's seven feet tall and 300 pounds. 
course, he's going to work deliberately. But really, for the for the balance of the performance of the program, if you tell me a joke, Kevin, I got to laugh. I want to laugh. But if I'm still laughing, don't tell me another joke. Let me yeah, finish laughing. Don't. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's it was just like a, that big cast kid was kind of getting he was kind of getting the ball of steam underneath him, and he he had that match with Enzo, and then uh, Enzo, you know, he charged Enzo, and Enzo, you know, grabbed the top rope, and uh, cast went over the top rope. I'm thinking to myself, right in your mind, that probably looked like you'd, you'd be a way that you could protect yourself. But any big man knows that the spot is you throw him in the corner, he ducks out of the corner, and you ball yourself in the turnbuckle. You don't go over the top rope, fall 14 feet, and blow your ACL out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just one of those things where it's just like, I don't know who came up with it. I said, yeah, but that, that's been done a million times. Don't do it in the corner. That'll be, that'll be done a million times. So what? All right. Exactly. So, okay, so this time then have Enzo shoot out and act like nothing's going on. You go jam, actually catch yourself on that, on that top turnbuckle with, with your, with your boot, push off and do a back elbow in the back of the kid's head. Now there's a spot that nobody's done before out of that and you're, and you still have an ACL. All right. Well, having the ACL is the point, is just my entire argument because insurance for wrestlers is terrible. A lot right. of them are irresponsible enough not to even have it, or they'll say they can't afford it while they're looking at the Rolex. That's another story for right. time. I just don't understand taking an excessive amount of high-risk bumps, meaning not the flatbacks, but the flatbacks on the, on the apron, the flatbacks or whatever on the floor, the stair shots, taking bumps into stairs, inanimate objects. They're not going to sell for you, and they're not going to beat you because you just, all this to you is a spot. Yeah, it's just, and, it, and it's so many times it's it's so many charges. You with five minutes to go to the to to, to a two forty five commercial break, and the guy charges you, and you backdrop the guy on the steel grating that that's the rampway because you know he can sell that for two. But should I mean in essence, you know when you come back, he probably still wants to sell it for another seven minutes. Yeah. You know, but it, that, that was their, you know, their thought of, well, we won't have to do as much. Well, shit. I mean, yeah. do a double knockout. Think realistic. I, when I first started calling wrestling, Bill Watts told me, because I was trying to figure out what style he wanted, because in a little rehearsal I did, I did a little uh, too much Gordon Soley, and he tapped me on the shoulder and said, if I wanted to hire Gordon Soley, I'd hire him. I want you to be yourself, and you got to determine what, what, who you are. He said, but think about it this way. Think about what you're seeing is real. Think about what you're seeing is a real is real combat, and utilize sports vernacular and analogies and common sense logic. And you know this guy's got a figure four, so he likes to focus on the legs. Now there's a whole story for you, whole, right. whole story for you. So, and that was his. That's the way I learned. And I don't think we get a lot of that nowadays. I think we get a lot of, and it's that way on like Sports Center or whatever, even play by play guys in football. There's, there's a seem to be an insatiable appetite for to be cute. I think wrestling can be cute, but it's got the moment's got to create the cuteness. Yeah, not in the middle of a of a money angle. Right. I remember one time Dick Murdoch and Carl Cox, two great veterans back in the day, two really highly skilled guys. They were in a big program about the second or third week of their program is going to have a big match in the Superdome or someplace. Eventually, in a few months, in a few months. <laughs> so Murdoch 
has this propensity to be shimp of the Three Stooges in matches at the wrong time. So in other words, he wanted to do comedy in a heated bloodbath personal issue. And I went refereeing. So I'm on the left side. Both guys are right-handed. On the left side, break the hold. They're in the corner. And, and Murdoch's playing Three Stooges. And Cox with about a six-inch right-handed punch caught Murdoch right on the button. Boom. And Murdoch's legs went spaghetti-legged. And Cox then kind of underhooked his arms and put him in the corner. So Murdoch's hands could be on the top rope because if not, he would have taken a bump. And Cox didn't want him to take a bump right then. He just wanted to quit bullshitting. So those kind of spirit, I don't know if I see that a lot, Kevin. I see, no. I see young kids that are playing the role of a wrestler sometimes. And that, that disturbs me a little bit. It's not real. We didn't go out in the uh, arena and, and go through our matches step by step by step. Oh. You know, I mean, we never did that, but we had an idea what we what story we wanted to tell. And once we got that story down, then we'd go to you and say, Jim, this is the story we're telling. Yep. And then we were all on the same page. And then so you weren't, you know, you, you, you were calling what we were wanting you to call. So the psych- everything made sense. So the psychology of what we were doing made sense to the commentating that you were doing, which made to the realism of the entire you know, the entire event. I mean, and, and that was just, but there was a difference because we worked as a team. Yeah, in concert. Right. Whereas now these guys, number one, like, there's so many times I'll go to a, a show and somebody will say, hey, will you watch my match? And I'll say, sure. And I'll watch their match and I'll come back and I'll say, well, what story were you telling me? They'll go, what do you mean? I said, well, what kind of, st- what was the story? And they just look at you. I said, exactly. I said, it was the, who can get the most moves in in four minutes or... Well, it's like you're not telling me a story. Right. The content that they're creating becomes unrelatable. They're indiscriminate moves. They're good for a highlight reel. Oh, yeah. Nice, you know, with music and a, some cute stuff. A highlight reel is what that stuff's good for. But to yeah. tell a, a story, you know, there's got to be peaks and valleys. There's got to be change of direction, change of pace. Tell me a story. Take me on a ride or not. So I think these kids are taking a lot of bumps that they don't need to take. I'm not going to knock them for it because that's their body. If they're making a living, man, then God bless them. But, I'm but just you know what, Jim? You know, when you, I just said, you know, when we started the conversation, I said, you know, it's been going on 30 years, you know, and it's just like, you're like, holy shit, you know, and then you think about it, just like, there won't be those guys. 30-year guys? There won't be 30-year guys. I mean, they just, guys, there's nobody's body will be able to take that kind of abuse. At the pace that they're doing it now, guys will not be able to put 30 years in the ring. You look at Rey Mysterio. You know, Rey was, is, is, it was probably, you know, un, uh, there was nobody like Rey Mysterio. I mean, he was something from a different planet. But, you know, I, I watched him, watch him work. We were on a show together in, uh, in Glasgow. He still does his signature things, which are you know three or four or five things. But at the same time, he tells his story, sells. Oh, he's great sells. Sales are great. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 he gets so much more out of what he, you know, and what he used to put in, in in four minutes. He's now putting in sixteen. Did you think, Kevin? Was it drilled into you, or did you have the fear or anxiety that as big as you were? are but we're in your your heyday north of three bills all jacked up looking great did you think that it was possible for you to sell too much i didn't think so as long as the guy had offense 
a guy Shawn Michaels size who who's every every punch he threw looked like money. Every kick he threw, you know, he had he had speed and quickness. He could you know he could hit the ropes two or three times, but and and ducking and, and flipping over the top, he had everything else. By the time he did hit you, I mean he had you off balance enough where you could. You, you, I never thought that you know. Hell, I used to let Bret Hart pick me up and give me a backbreaker. You know, I, I just didn't because I always I always looked at it this way. You know, like I was an American League kid. You know, and as a Tiger fan, but back then we you know, we didn't have the DH yet. Right. But we had a guy named Earl Wilson that we picked up from. I think we picked him up from the Red Sox. I remember Earl Wilson hit. You know, he was a pitcher, but hell, he hit four or five home runs a year. <laughs> Yeah. And that was always my thing. It's just like, you know, everybody out there is a pro baseball player. They all think batting practice. And if you throw one over the sweet spot, they're going to have a home run. So anybody that's out there on any given night can, can, can knock out anybody. I'd like to say that big guys like you, and I learned this from Bill Watts, because Watts is large for his era, 6'3 and 300, thick football lineman, all that good stuff. But he kind of had a, uh, for a big guy, he had kind of a, a budget of how much he's going to sell. Uh, in other words, he kind of managed his selling to where he would, he did a lot of registering. He did a lot of reacting, but the big sell was when the guy gave him his good stuff. And then of course, Bill was going to make a comeback. He said, that way I always beat somebody. I sold for them in their heat spot. Absolutely. And then we go home and I get stronger and stronger and the momentum of the crowd's feeding me, blah, blah, blah. And, and then I, I go over, but I've, then I have beaten somebody because I sold for him. If you don't sell for somebody, then you beat nobody. Yeah, but we used to have the joke where we, me, and, me and Scott would get with the young guys when we were in the NWO and we'd walk up and say, listen, man, Eric, Eric you know, wants us working super strong, so we're going to go out there and let you guys shine us, and we're going to get some heat on you, and then we're going to go ahead and beat you. <laughs> Uh, like, what? Yeah. Okay. Okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> Watch used to say, "I uh, we'll drive to a town. He's going to work with somebody. He did a two-hour three-fall match with Terry and Jimmy Garvin in a handicap match, and Garvin was leaving the territory. And uh, Bill said, "God, I'm, I'm stumped. Help me out here. I got to figure out how to beat him too straight without hurting myself. Beat him too straight without hurting yourself. Said, well, I'll give that some thought. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> hey, how's our man Scott Hall doing? Good. That's what I thought. So, I mean, he was uh, he's, he's been going a lot back and forth over to uh, to Europe. He's got a, he's got a new girlfriend. That's that's been real good for him. So, right. yeah, Scott's been Scott's been doing good. Good for him, man. Good for him. He's a smart son of a gun, boy. What a what a brain. He's got a lot yeah. Of, that was another thing about your group, our group there at WWE at the time. Also, a lot of smart guys. You and Sean Hunter. Scott, a lot of guys, kid. You know, a, lot, a lot of guys, they, they gave a shit about the business. Yep. And uh, I'm going to talk to uh, Sean soon for on the show, and he seems to be doing that. Last time I saw him in L.A., he seemed to be doing well. Oh, he's, he's doing great. Yeah, still working a little bit, and he's a good teacher. He cares. Yeah, yeah. I could tell you that guys get him for a seminar or to do some coaching. Oh. He's really, really good, so yeah, a good kid. He's, he's top notch. So what are you going to do for the holidays? Stay grounded, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm shit. I'm on a walker right now, so I go to my doctor tomorrow and see if they're gonna take these staples out of my knee. Mm. And uh, I've got a long. I got, you know, my goal right now is just to try to make it back to the Raw 25th anniversary show. Me too, buddy. 
I'll be there. Me and Lawler have been invited back. And somebody said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. don't matter. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that they have all of us at the Manhattan Center. Wow, that'd be cool. I can see that. That's where we were. That makes you know, sense. That's where yeah. we were. Yeah, makes sense, right? Makes sense. I second that emotion there. Somebody said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. And they said, well, and they kept looking at me in a puzzling way at a Q&A I did last week. You know, I said, it doesn't matter. I got my jersey back. Uh, they're, bringing yeah, me, right. they're bringing me back to the game, man. So, so I, I got to hit fourth or I ain't playing. I don't come. Out, I don't come out of the bullpen for nobody, pal. Hey, the way I look at it, remember, remember when you used to collect baseball cards? You used to always get the guy, and it said infield, outfield is his position. Yeah, I always like that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he came to work with more with several tools in his toolbox. Absolutely. Stuff. Hey, buddy, I'll see you up there uh, hopefully in January, January twenty first. I think that is or twenty second. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think it's twenty second. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing you there, and maybe we'll have a glass of wine. Yes. I'm, I'm going to start to drink more wine and less uh, Crown Royal. Uh, it's done me well. Yeah, you look great. The last time I saw you, you did look really good. And you know, I like the fact, too, that you don't give a damn about your hair being gray. No, I don't give a damn. No. <laughs> long as it stays in my head. That's right. There you go. That's the bottom line or the bottom lines. Uh, All right, I, buddy. I appreciate your time. Very best to your family during the holidays. And, uh, Thanks, Jim. I thank the world of you, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. I got it. I just, and, uh, I know it's a hard time for you, and I just uh, hope you know I love you, buddy. I appreciate it. The Ross Report. The Ross Report. My thanks again to Kevin Nash for joining us this week on The Ross Report. Always good to catch up with my old pal. Almost 30 years we've known each other. It's amazing. From those WSB radio days in Atlanta. Damn. Funny how things go full circle sometimes. Also, I want to thank my... Access TV broadcast partner, Josh Barnett. Josh and I will be calling the Russell Kingdom event uh, for Access TV. And, of course, the special on that is going to air on Saturday night, January the 6th. We'll talk more about that, but you've got all the data. Access TV, Channel 340 and DirecTV. It's on Sling TV and selected cable companies. Make an effort to find it. It's going to be a hell of a show, and we're looking forward to bringing our A game. We're both competitive. We're both egocentric. Full transparency here, and we want to win. We want our call to be the best call of the night. Simple as that. Thank you again for supporting Slobberknocker, my life in wrestling. Amazon, Amazon UK, Amazon Australia are stocked for now. Barnes & Noble got plenty of books, and they're great partners. And all the Barnes & Noble stores that I appeared in earlier this year, they have signed copies for you to pick up. And I talked about uh, our friends in Ridgewood, New Jersey, called Bookends. Bookends is at bookendsnj on Twitter. Their email is uh, book-ends.com. Now, I give you this because of this reason. Uh, I sign extra books for bookends in New Jersey. They have them in stock. They will ship your book to you wherever you live. doesn't matter. If you get mail, they will ship it. Once again, the email for those books is book-ends.com. Check them out. Good people. They'll guarantee you'll get your signed book to you. Also, folks, if you're going to be in Philadelphia for the 2018 Royal Rumble, be sure to join me for the first ever Slobberknocker Sessions. It's going to be at Citizens Bank Ballpark Diamond Club on a Sunday, January 28th at noon. That's the day of the Royal Rumble on the same parking lot. So you get your tickets now. There are only 100 of them starting out with. We don't have that many left. Your tickets can be had at TicketFly.com. You get a free hard copy of Slobberknocker signed by me to you, a selfie, uh, the Q&A, and there's only going to be 100 folks. It's going to be cool. 
Really cool. So uh, check it out, ticketfly.com. Appreciate you guys supporting our sponsors. That's how we keep this thing afloat, common sense stuff. And don't forget to support the Podcast One company in general. A lot of great podcasters, great audio here. It's a one-stop place for great podcasts. And you can download the brand-new Podcast One app. You know, that's available in the App Store and Google Play. It's a -a one-of-a-kind app that lets you really experience podcasts like never before. And there's, there's more podcasts than ever before. So it's a great time for that, to, for that app to say the least podcast one.com. That's where you can find my sponsors podcast. one.com. You can also get the show there or at Apple podcasts as well. As I talked about next week, an interesting show in as much as it's always fun to catch up with Sean Waltman, who's never at a loss for words. And he's always got an opinion of which I love and respect. So we'll be talking to X-Pac next week about uh, a litany of things. And then also Pat LaFraud from Montreal. I can't even do a good French accent anymore. I sound like Pepe Le Pew on cartoons. Uh, Pat LaFraud wrote this great book on Mad Dog with Sean uh, that we're going to talk about. Mad Dog is one of the most fascinating real-life characters ever in the business, ever in the business. And I wonder who will be the ingenious one to make a movie of this guy's life. It's a hell of a book. And Mad Dog with Sean, Mad Dog, great cover. So we'll talk to Pat about that next week. And and by the way, Pat was actually in the audience for the November 1997 Montreal Screwjob. But don't tell anybody. The old Montreal Screwjob comes up again next week on the program with Pat LaFraud, who was there. So that'll be fun. And so have a good week. I hope you've had a wonderful holiday season thus far. You never run out of days to do nice things for folks, right? So uh, try that. It'll make you feel better. It certainly helped me get through the holidays, doing nice things for others. And uh, I'm very happy that I was in a position to do that for some folks. So have a great rest of the holiday season. Have a happy new year. If you see me at the Rose Bowl, say, hey, JR. And I'll say, hey. And uh, we'll have uh, another conversation next week with X-Pac, Pat LaFraud, talking books. John Pollock coming up in the next few weeks. Ron Harris is going to jump on and talk about Aero Lucha. And uh, so a lot of good things. John Pollock's got a new new gig, you know, postwrestling.com. He and Wei Ting, postwrestling.com. Check that out before you leave. Have a great week. Uh, a little traveling from me, not a bad thing. Uh, new Year's in uh, L.A., big New Year's. Maybe the biggest New Year's I've ever had as far as business is concerned. And then the Rose Bowl, which is really important business because the Sooners are my life. Not afraid to say it. And uh, I'm pulling for my voice. So good things are happening. Every day is our opportunity to make it a good day. And so, by golly, I'm going to try to do that with all my heart and all my power. So you do the same. Remember, our tomorrows are never guaranteed. So from the rolling hills of my home state of Oklahoma, I'm good old J.R. Jim Ross saying so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Ross Report. Download a brand new episode every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.